0: Welcome to Defining Roles, a podcast about jobs you may have never heard of. I'm your host, Kate Barrett. Let's explore the possibilities of what's out there so that we can find a perfect role. Hello, I'm so happy that you are here to spend a little time with me today and my new friend, John, who is an American Sign Language interpreter. And John shares so much in this episode that truly I found so exciting to learn about because he talks about how ASL is a language just like English with its structures and grammar and I just didn't know how it worked and why interpreters are so dynamic when you watch them and it's all part of it and we get to learn all about it today. And John also shared so much about the deaf community and deaf culture that was new, and I love learning about new cultures and new perspective and experiences. So this was eye-opening in so many ways. Um, let's just jump into the episode. Let's get into it. John, thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Would you start by sharing what is your official job title?
1: Sure. Yes, I am an educational sign language interpreter.
0: Ooh, how would you define your role?
1: Yes. So as a sign language interpreter, uh, many people assume that we are just taking English and putting it into American Sign Language. Uh, But it's actually a little bit more than that with the educational bit, So I'm working in educational settings, typically in high schools, elementary schools, middle schools. And Mm -hmm. not only do we convey the content of the lesson, but we convey everything that's happening in the environment. Um, So really our job is to provide access and um, an entryway into learning for these students. So we want to include that the kid behind you just knocked over his water and everybody turned to look at him. Uh, We want to include the fact that maybe there's a siren going by outside. You want to include, you know, every little announcement that comes on, uh, you know, Katie, will you please go to the principal's office? You want to include all of that information because it lets the students begin to build an understanding of social norms and uh, classroom norms and positive interactions with their peers in a different way than if we were just to convey the the content or the educational material that the teacher is expressing.
0: Wow. That is so cool. I did not realize it's literally like the full surrounding and the experience.
1: Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think that people often overlook is... You know it was fashionable about twenty years ago to say, "Oh, I'm an interpreter for the deaf." But mm-hmm. recent theory and, and train of knowledge is actually we're we're there to interpret for people who don't know sign language. <laughs> so if everybody knew sign language, we wouldn't need to have a job if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. so um, frequently when you show up somewhere for a meeting for the first time, they say, "Oh, are you their interpreter?" Um, I always say, oh, I'm here to interpret for you as well. Um, that way you can communicate with them and then they can communicate yeah. with you. Um, and what I think a cool
0: that's, perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I think that's something that's frequently overlooked is, you know, we're we're conduits, uh, yeah. but we wouldn't need to be conduits if everybody literally spoke the same language.
0: Wow. Okay, this is a new microculture for me. So, would you introduce some of the terminology like you were just talking about mm-hmm. um, that I should be aware of to navigate this space respectfully and with
1: awareness? Oh, totally, totally. Um, I think let's start with the big one to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, while it's okay to say "deaf" because that encaptures a culture that can talk to, um, you know, a loss of hearing to a certain degree. It's not okay under any circumstance to say deaf and dumb. Um, way back in the day, that was, you know, what people said, but that's just not cool anymore. Don't say. Yeah.
0: I've never heard that. So we're good there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, talk to your, talk to your grandparents' generation. And, um, some of them will still say, uh, Deaf and dumb, and that's (laughs) I always just kindly say, Oh, no, 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 just deaf.
0: Nope, (laughs) that works,
1: (laughs) right? Um, the other one that's fallen out of favor is hearing impairment, and it goes along with this idea of um, an inability to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you don't really say hearing impaired anymore, so the proper term is hard of hearing, okay? So I, as we move forward through this conversation, will probably say deaf and hard of hearing, as we as we proceed, um, and that is what's the community is currently using, um, and that's what their services are provide. You know, services for the deaf and hard of hearing, and so on and so forth.
0: Beautiful. We can work with that.
1: Okay. Great. Yeah.
0: Um. All right, John. How does ASL work? It is a language of its own with grammar and mm-hmm. sentence formation, how would you describe the language?
1: Oh, man. Okay, so I guess the first most noticeable difference is English is an audible language. So mm-hmm. English exists in a spoken form. Like, we are using English right now to convey and communicate thoughts. Um, English happens to be very linear, and and you always start with you know this this subject verb object kind of setup. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, you have American Sign Language, and ASL is very visual. Mm -hmm. It's not only two-dimensional, so it doesn't just happen in a visual plane, it's also three-dimensional. So if something is moving forward um, away from your body, that has a particular meaning. If something is moving backward behind your head and shoulder area, that has another meaning. Um, So it really is a 3D language. um, And as far as the structure and grammar goes people used to always teach that it was, um, topic comments. And you'll see that a lot with, um, Asian and Asian Island languages where you mm-hmm. have the thing that you're talking about and then you make a comment. For example, um, my socks, warm and wool. So, mm-hmm. you know, you establish that you're talking about the socks and then you clarify that they're warm and they're wool. Um, So that's that's the way I think about it is that it's a topic comment language. Um, Yeah, instead, way back in the day, they used to always tell you that it was object subject verb. Um, But I don't find that that still applies. I find that it is topic comment now, if that makes any sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that that does. And it is not lost on me that we are talking about sign language. in a completely audio format where we can't have examples. So again, it's just kind of funny as I was prepping for this and went, "Hmm, yep, we're definitely having a very interesting conversation today.
1: Sure. But you know, I I think as somebody who is fascinated by languages and studying languages, um, I think this is a fun challenge because how do you yeah. state these things clearly and succinctly, and get them to be conveyed when the modality that we're using doesn't fit the modality of the language yeah. that we're talking about at all?
0: Oh my goodness, what a challenge! And I was doing a little bit of in my prep work, read that it also incorporates. Facial expression, (laughs) body positions, Mm -hmm. as well as the hand gestures.
1: Gosh, you are hitting the nail on the head right now because I was, before we moved on, I wanted to make sure that we talked about this. We always see interpreters, you know, in the news conferences, and then there's memes, you know, an hour afterwards being like, the interpreter just made it look like armageddon is coming and that yeah <laughs> this meteor is gonna hit and destroy the earth um just because of the facial expressions but that is a huge part of it and there are like five parameters of of sign language mm-hmm. um and facial expressions and we're, they're called non-manual markers so mm-hmm. the things that you don't physically do uh with your body but things that you reflect and you show on your face yeah um those are a part of it. So that is, those are your adverbs and your adjectives. So Mm. if something is very strong, you don't sign very strong. You emphasize the word strong. So you Mm. lean into it. You take on that very dynamic face to put the emphasis where the emphasis needs to be. Uh, Same thing with, um, incredibly friendly. You don't say incredibly friendly. You use the sign for friendly or compassionate or empathetic, but you do it in a reflective, tender manner mm. to show that. And so it's, it's, it's what I tell. Um, I also teach an ASL class. And so what I tell my students is it is all of your inflection and your prosody. It is the pause that you take in the sentence. It is the curt tone of voice that you take. You know, you do oh, all wow. of that with your body and your facial expression and the movements that you incorporate with your signs. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. The, yeah, the example that I saw was that when we're speaking, the tone of voice, when we're asking a question, it may go up at the end. But with sign, that would be raising of the eyebrows, maybe widening, widening of the eyes, and leaning forward.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: is that's when you're asking a question?
1: <laughs> so, um, that's all about. Um, yes, that that is getting more into the specifics of uh, the grammar of it. So, okay. Um, yes, no questions are, um, or rhetorical questions are raised eyebrows. And, Mm um, I say the WH questions, the who, what, when, where, why, how, those are Mm -hmm. all lowered or furrowed eyebrows. Um, and so with those questions, if you see somebody furrowing the eyebrows, you know, oh, they are expecting a response from me.
0: (laughs) How cool is that? (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh, John, this is so interesting. (laughs)
1: Oh, good. I'm glad you, I. I think it's fascinating. So uh, I I love talking about it, and I love um, anybody who's curious about it. I love welcoming them them into this world. Yes.
0: So when did you start learning ASL?
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. um, Let's go back, shall we?
0: Let's Uh, do it. I want to hear how you got – as someone who is fully hearing – well, what's the proper word I'm looking for? Yeah,
1: as a hearing individual, that's that's yes. correct. Okay. Yeah.
0: So as someone who is a hearing individual, how did you get into the world of ASL?
1: Oh, totally. Um, and actually, before we move on, can I say one more thing about facial expressions yes, and fitting? Yes, please. Um, so there is um, a brilliant interpreter by the name of Nigel Howard, and he lives – actually, I believe he lives up in Vancouver. Um, BC. And uh, he has a lecture showing that, or emphasizing that really interpreters, we are mirrors. So if a deaf person is signing, and we are signing back to them, it should be an accurate reflection. So we are fully representing the person who is speaking in the same mm-hmm. way with the hearing person, like we are fully representing that person. So if there's somebody who stumbles over their sentences a lot or sighs a lot or they always drop the end of their sentences, we want to show that in the way we're interpreting. And so Mm. that's all a part of it is that there is this piece of performance to it as well, um, which then will bring me to how I got into sign language. So my first degree... And I believe you know this, but I'm not sure that you do. My first degree was actually in musical theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, while I was going through that program, uh, two of my friends at college were deaf. And they always loved coming to see our shows. But sometimes they couldn't come on the one interpreted performance that our school had lined up. So mm-hmm. in that case, one of our friends would... Grab a seat next to them, and we would, in the scene transitions, try to convey what was happening. And so I started learning sign language there. Um, I had the f- fortune to travel to London when I was a junior in college, and both of my friends came with us. And so mm-hmm. I started picking up more from the interpreters there. And then in our downtime, because after class or after the organized event by the school, we would then all go out to eat together or we would all go to the museum together and the interpreters wouldn't come with us because it was free time. Mm -hmm. And so I started learning more communication and sign language then, but it was very conversational. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, looking back, I thought, Oh, I know everything there is to know about sign language, but Oh no, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So uh, after college, I toured for a couple of years uh, with the children's theater and then um, ended up doing summer stock theater in Morton, Washington, which is in the middle of nowhere. It's between Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier. Mm. Beautiful area. It's set in this this valley along a river. So you can't see either (laughs) Mount Rainier or Mount St. Helens. But it's uh, a lot of camping, a lot of hiking. It's very yeah. easy to take day trips to both mountains. And so families will come stay there for a couple of weeks. So we did shows for the people camping, that kind of thing. Um, I auditioned for some companies here in Seattle and got cast. Uh, so moved to Seattle. And um, a couple of years into this, as I would see interpretive performances, I, I would think Man, it, it kind of stinks that the deaf audience members need to sit in the corner of the theater and look at the interpreters and then like crane their necks to try to catch as much action as they can and stare back at the interpreter. And it's just not the same experience of theater Mm -hmm. when you're always playing this ping pong match. Yeah. Um, and that's nothing to do with the interpreters. The interpreter interpreters I saw were amazing. Um, but it wasn't incorporated into the action. So then I started thinking more about, well, what would it be like? What impact could you have on a play's meaning and message if you incorporated signing into the show so that a deaf person could mm-hmm. go and sit wherever they would want and have access to the entire performance? And you can do that in a lot of creative ways. Maybe half of the cast is deaf and half of the characters are deaf. but take it a layer deeper why are those specific characters deaf how does that Mm -hmm. impact the show and of the characters who aren't deaf which of them sign and which of them don't and why and like there's this whole other layer that you can start getting into um and then you know you can do fun things like one of my ideas is to have a really small cast and have a ton of interpreters, maybe have 10 to 15 interpreters and the interpreters are the furniture. (laughs) Mm. The interpreters are your stage dressing. So if, if the actors are yelling at each other, um, for the sake of, of this example, let's say that the actors are speaking English and the interpreters are signing. So if the actors are yelling at each other, maybe all 15 interpreters are signing at the same time. Hmm. or if they're whispering, maybe only one interpreter. Um, and then how do you position the interpreters and, and that kind of thing? There's so many cool things that you could do. And so I started percolating on these ideas, uh, thinking about, okay, well, I want to incorporate that more into the work that I'm doing and the theater that I'm interested in producing. Okay, let's do this. And then I was thinking more about it because the deaf community, it is a minority group. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to be this outsider that says, I'm making entertainment for you. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be a part of the community, I need to be a part of the community. How am I going to do this? And I was like, well, first, I know I need to brush up on my ASL. It's been over a decade since I've taken any kind of class or communicated regularly with a deaf person. Mm
0: -hmm. So I got
1: into formal ASL. And then the more I thought about it, the more being an interpreter was appealing to me because it's being able to work with a wide variety of people. It's uh, very mentally complicated, complex, interesting work. Mm-hmm. Um, it Interpreters are a part of the community. If they have the right attitude and they have the right approach, they are accepted into the community. And then that would enable me to make more connections to then be a part of the community and then produce these pieces. So, um, I had been working at a school for children with behavioral disabilities at the time. I was like doing theater in the evenings, um, working part time at a coffee shop, you know, <laughs> and then working mm-hmm. at a school for children with behavioral um, needs, behavioral and emotional uh, needs, and uh, started sign language classes again. And then A couple months after that, I made the decision I'm going to apply to an interpreting program. Um, So at about that time, I also began working at an agency that services and provides uh, services for the deaf and hard of hearing uh, from birth to three. So they have, or from birth to death, really. So they have Mm -hmm. a birth to three program where if you're a hearing parent that has an infant, Uh, who's born deaf and you don't know how, what to do or where to go, they will come in, start teaching you sign language, several signs a week. um, So you can build up your access to communication with your child. Your child has the very vital access to just any language, you know, in those first eight months, it's crucial that some kind of language and a visual language very much counts to build those neurological pathways Mm -hmm. You know, they do that. And then there's um, audiological services. So you can go have an audiogram, get your hearing tested, get fitted with hearing aids. Um, They have speech language services. Um, They have deaf advocacy services because when you're a teenager and under the age of 21, you have a lot of deaf services. And then when you're a senior citizen, you have a lot of services. But if you're, you know, in your late 30s, you may not have somebody assigned to help you navigate the banking system or being called for jury duty what do you do so they have deaf uh, advocates and deaf services and then the department I worked for was actually an interpreting agency so I worked interpreting uh sorry I worked scheduling interpreters for any kind of assignment that you'd you'd think of um yeah, so while I was doing that, I went back to school to become an interpreter. And then for the past couple of years, I worked as a deaf-blind intervener at a school system. So I worked with a student who is deaf and mostly blind, just making sure she had access to information. So that could be enlarging a worksheet or increasing the contrast so she could see it more easily, or creating a word bank of key, important vocabulary, that kind of thing. And then once I graduated, I now work as an educational interpreter.
0: Awesome. There is so much to unpack there. And I first just want to say how cool I think it is that you approached the theater and that whole the performances to not only include, you know, entertainment and access to the deaf groups, but also it's a, it's a way to create awareness. And I find things like that interesting. I, Mm -hmm. well, I studied intercultural communications in college. And so I don't, I just naturally love learning about different groups and different experiences. And so understanding the world, through the eyes of someone else, literally when they don't have, you know, the same experience. I think that's fascinating as well as I'm sure very appreciated by the deaf community or even those that, you know, it's a spectrum. I f- the hard of hearing, I'm sure you work with a broad range mm-hmm. of hearing ability.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I work with high school students and, um... One of them it's a smallish program it's a it's a program here in the Seattle area that has a number of of deaf and hard of hearing uh, students mm-hmm. so a couple of them are completely audiologically deaf they just don't have any hearing and no amount of uh, amplification through a hearing aid would give them access to hearing uh, so I have, there are a couple students that are like that in a program. Um, But then on the other side of the spectrum, there are some that are, they have the most of their hearing. They have most of their hearing. They just can't catch every word if it's Mm -hmm. super complicated. Um, Like maybe myoscopic versus endoscopic. They could catch the ascopic, but maybe they missed the first part. And so that would be the one time they look at, an interpreter to catch, wait, did they say endo or mayo? Like, mm-hmm. um, or ext- ecto or endo, you know? Um, so we have that. And <laughs> some of those students, you you feel like you're not being paid attention to at all mm-hmm. when you're interpreting, mm-hmm. but that's, that's okay. It's not about you as the interpreter. It's about them having access. And so you just have to keep going and keep up. So when they do need you, they can look at you and say, got it, endo. And keep Mm. going, keep going with the lesson. So I hope I, I, yeah, so it's the, it's the whole gamut. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. And the topics that you have to translate, I imagine you get to hear some, a pretty big range of, of classes and, and information that you all, you know, you have to know the vocabulary for everything.
1: Yes. Um, And I'm very fortunate to be working in a program that they give us a whole period planning period off uh every day which is very desirable one of the classes I am working with is an automotive class I do not Mm. know much about automotives at all I know that I take my car to the shop every three to five thousand miles to get the oil changed (laughs) but beyond that you know um and where we are now as far as auto tech industry, it's, they have so many specialized tools and processes wow. and systems that it's just nuts. And so uh, a couple times a week, I'll email the teacher of that class and say, what are we covering over the next few days? Um, and he lets me know, oh, we're going to be looking at this tool and we're going to be looking at this system. So then I go and do research of what does that tool look like? Yeah. When would a mechanic use it? What system is that tool a part of? Because it's a famous saying, I'm not sure who created it, but we say it all the time in the interpreting world, you can't interpret what you don't understand. Wow. Especially being going from an audible language into a visual 3D language. If I don't know what the inside of that fan belt system looks like, I can't interpret it accurately. Wow. So, um, and I think that's just, yeah, I think that's just a, a big metaphor for life, right? Like we can't interpret what we don't understand.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They say yeah, that's the teaching. Like you've, you learning is one thing being able to, uh, you know, to, to, to say what you just learned, but then teaching is like the ultimate form of mastery if you're mm-hmm. able to teach it to someone else. So. Right. That's that's pretty much what you're doing of you can't communicate it if you don't know all of the dimensions.
1: Right. And then the other thing to make it more complicated is you really do need to fit the client's language use. So those students I was just telling you who are um, still maintain the majority of their hearing Mm -hmm. because they grew up speaking and hearing english the way they sign is going to be in a more englishy structure so i might do less topic comment when i'm working with them and i might stick to more englishy word order when working with them because that's how they think that's how they process Mm -hmm. whereas the students who are completely audiologically deaf and asl sign language is their first language you're gonna Mm -hmm. flip that you're gonna change um, from subject-verb-object to topic-comment so that they have more access to the language. So it's it's also that piece of, of thinking about who you are interpreting for, who is your audience, and making sure that they can pick up the message. Because their job is to be learning the concepts, not yeah. trying to decipher what you're saying to them. <laughs>
0: yeah. How does... Lip, I have a couple questions here. Lip reading come into play? Like students that are also able to take in a lot of the information, do you adjust how you would sign for them if they're able to take in certain information?
1: Yes. Um, and lip reading you have to be very careful with because yeah. lip reading, it's not like you can – can go communicate with somebody and just look at them in the face and speak and that they can Mm -hmm. lip read. Um, I think it's something like, anyway, they, they, you don't pick up a lot of information. So
0: it's supplemental maybe rather than you, it's not the primary form.
1: Exactly. And that's, that's when that falls into that category of those non-manual signals. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, so, for example, the sign for awesome or great or wonderful, those are all the same signs. But mm-hmm. if I want to make sure that the deaf person knows the hearing person said wonderful, I'm mm-hmm. going to say or mouth wonderful as I'm doing that sign mm-hmm. versus awesome or great. Um, right. And that's, that's where that comes in. So I think the uh, notion of it being supplemental is key. And I think it's, you know, um, I think especially nowadays, uh, lip reading is not as big of a part of what it used to be just because of the Mm -hmm. way we now educate the deaf and hard of hearing population. Um, part of lip reading used to be more baked into that educational system, uh, particularly in in the late sixties and early seventies. Yeah.
0: It was a necessity. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't have the resources and the awareness around what they actually needed.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and so, a lot of that has changed. So, yes, I think the notion that it's supplemental is the correct one, and let's go with that.
0: <laughs> awesome. Also, along with that, how did the students balance balance taking notes and following along to make sure that they're understanding? I mean. They can only look at one place at a time. Mm -hmm. How does that work?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a, um, that is a real issue. And a lot of people don't consider that. Um, So typically what you would want to do is to ask a teacher for the copy of their lecture notes, or Mm -hmm. you would want to ask uh, a different person to be there solely as the note taker, or. Mm Sometimes if there are like TAs, because now you can get um, leadership credits in high school for being a teacher's assistant or doing different volunteer things, you can ask somebody in the class, a fellow student, to take notes for you and then share those notes. But it isn't ideal for a deaf person to also take notes because they are going to miss something. And even the most skilled interpreter who waits for the student to look back at them, the teacher's not going to stop talking. The teacher's going to keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, it is very challenging to simultaneously take notes and attend to a lecture.
0: Yeah. How has working with deaf culture changed your awareness?
1: Oh, man. Um, I think... <laughs> I think like anything, you know, in any profession that you, you start or you go into, the more you work with a population, the more you realize you don't know about either sign language or the diversity in the community or um, the way you can effectively express something or communicate a concept. And I, I think that is what I'm I'm still learning is that there's so much... That I still don't know, um, <laughs> um, so I don't know if that was <laughs> quite yeah. where you were going with that question. But that's the first thing that pops into my mind. Um, the other thing that it makes, you know, I'm I'm constantly aware of uh, backgrounds and mm-hmm. people's clothes, and um, I notice people's hands so much more now because. Wow that's what I do all day is, I mean, yeah. you know, when you're effectively communicating with somebody, you're looking them in the eye because eye contact is vital and there's so many nuanced things that happen in eye contact. It's really cool. But second, you know, you look at hands. And so I always notice uh, if somebody has their fingernails painted or if they have, you know, like dirt under the fingernails or um, maybe if they have scratches because they've been playing with their new kitten yeah. It, it's I've noticed that so much more now than I ever thought I would. Wow. <laughs> so that's kind of another random side tangent.
0: Yeah. So your job has changed quite a bit since mm-hmm. the pandemic being that you're not we're not having classes that are taking place in person. Would yes. you tell us how things are going now and what your job looks like.
1: Yes. um, Everything is via Zoom or another platform like Zoom. Um, You know, these video conferencing platforms. And it's like we talked about at the beginning, the structure and the layout of American Sign Language. It's, while it is a visual language, there is a lot lost in interpretation when you go from a 3D modality to a 2D modality. Um, mm. It is much more challenging to see the shape and the form of somebody's hands, those like little shadows that if you were yeah. face-to-face you could pick up on that you're you're missing in 3D. Also the trajectory, uh, if the sign clearly moved forward or backwards or to the side, um, depending on how the students have their cameras set up, that's challenging. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, when we didn't quite know the way things were spread and so on and so forth, hospitals, a lot of hospitals at least, pretty much switched to a hundred percent having the interpreters remote and on an iPad. But if you think about it, if you're in an emergency room or if you're in a hospital, you're already panicked. So your your energy and focus is not gonna be on language necessarily it might be on the pain or it might be on concern or it might be on (laughs) um you know these these doubts that you'll have of am i going to be okay uh and so then you have this 2d interpreter who can't fully see you who you can't fully see because you're laying down on a bed and Mm. to look at the screen it's going to require you to like turn your head in a way that may be currently uncomfortable. So right when the pandemic happened, a lot of interpreting went that way. Now more and more hospitals are using in-person interpreters, uh, fully suited up, um, and that's just so much more effective, that face-to-face interaction and communication. Um, And there are some school systems that have moved, uh, particularly for the individuals who are deaf plus, So they have deaf plus other disabilities. Maybe it's deaf Mm -hmm. plus a learning disability or deaf plus um, a behavioral disability. Uh, A lot of school systems are moving to including those students in their in-person learning, which Mm -hmm. then they bring in interpreters for that. Uh, The students that I work with are their only disability is that they can't hear (laughs) Mm -hmm. or they can't hear as well as they're hearing peers, so all of our classes and in instruction have been online. But it is definitely not uh, equitable. It's not the same. It's not as fluent. Um, it's just harder to monitor if your students are understanding um, by the way they're reacting to what you sign. Mm. Uh, and I mean, I'm sure you've heard from your teacher friends that so many students don't even turn their cameras on. So. It really does feel like you're interpreting out to the void, so it can feel like you're not it, it's it's hard to keep your audience in mind,
0: yeah mm-hmm. so hospitals do they have interpreters on staff there? do they how do, how does that work? Because that is a little bit different from the educational sector that you work in.
1: Oh, correct. Yes. Community interpreting is different, um, from, from educational interpreting, uh, for sure. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of similarities like right at the foundation, we're still there to provide access. Uh, um, so several hospitals do employ their own interpreters. Um, and then some, some don't. So it really just depends on the hospital. Like the, the larger mm-hmm. hospitals here in Seattle do have their own staff interpreters, uh, sign wow, language interpreters. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. So, it's cool. so the agency that you talked about, do, do you work for the agency and then the school district reaches out to the agency when they, they have a student that needs the services? How does. The organization around connecting interpreters with whoever needs the services. How does how does that look?
1: Yeah. Um, so the school system I currently work for, we have um, a mass of deaf and hard of hearing students. So they actually do have a staff interpreting staff. There are I think six, wait, seven. I believe there are seven staff interpreters who are part of it because of the number of students that we have. So wow. the, the first period class I interpret actually has two students. The third period class I interpret has one student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just depending on their schedule, we, with the seven of us uh, from middle school to high school can cover all of the classes. Wow. Um, but you can do what you're talking about. If it was, a. Uh, um, if it was a rural district, maybe you would contact a local agency and who, like a rural district that may not know if they're going to have the student for a long time or, or whatnot. They, the school district would contact an agency and ideally you would have the same interpreter for the entire year. Okay.
0: Um,
1: again, because you are going to establish uh, patterns and effective communication and really figure out the individual or your audience. And be able to effectively communicate for that student. Um, at least that's <laughs> the notion, the idea. Yeah. So it it can go both ways for uh, community events. If you need to uh, see your banker, if you need to have a dental appointment, if you need to buy a new car, um, all of these things, anything that we would do, right? Deaf people mm-hmm. also do. <laughs> yeah. um, the the companies will contact an interpreting agency, the agency that's worth their salt will look at the interpreters they have, be familiar with those interpreter strengths, Mm -hmm. be familiar with the clients. Uh, You know, the clients usually can have somewhere where they provide preferences of what they like in an interpreter and then match uh, the individuals together. So match a good, knowledgeable interpreter about car sales with this unique client Uh, who's going, you know, on Tuesday, December 1st, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Man, that is – see, that's so interesting.
1: (laughs) I think it's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, see, you just – it just opens my eyes to how much is just taken for granted, Mm -hmm. you know, of how much – when you have access to communication and everything – right there you don't have to schedule when is someone able to come assist right what do you love most about your job
1: oh man uh what do I love most about my job I love people I love working with people so it's it's fun to be able to meet a variety of people and to create uh relationships you know at first professional relationships and then um often those can become um closer. Uh, Mm. So I love creating relationships. I love the mental challenge of interpreting. um, How do I say this? How do I say this effectively for the person sitting in front of me? Um, I love that challenge and it is different every single day because we as individuals are going to bring something different on a daily basis. And so I like that mental challenge and how it really is different every single day and how you get to be creative and problem solve constantly in the moment. And there's a new set of challenges every few seconds and you address those challenges and then you move on to the next set of challenges and how Mm -hmm. you either successfully set up your patterns in the past will affect how you can move forward. So you're constantly making Mm -hmm. uh decisions and uh, responses to decisions that you've made.
0: We didn't go into the hard versus soft skills earlier. I'd love to hear a little bit about... So hard skills, definitely learning the foundation and the vocabulary Mm -hmm, of ASL. mm -hmm. What are some of the other hard skills that you would use and then the soft skills?
1: Yeah, so the other hard skills... Uh, it is that secondary level of assessment. So um, there is something uh, set up in interpreting called demand and controls. And every practice profession has demands and controls. So demands are things that you need to respond to. So they mm-hmm. are, are stimuli of some sort. They are something that is being said or something that happened in the environment that you need to address. And the way you choose to address them, the the controls, the tools that you bring um, will impact your future decisions and will impact the future demands and stimulus in the, the job. Uh, so one of the things an interpreting program does is you talk about that and you break down and you analyze that. And so that's a hard skill you have to do is is to do that theoretical work and to learn about that theoretical work. And it is this meta- um, cognitive process that you go through. And so interpreters are constantly aware of, oh, that's something I need to respond to or I'm going to choose not to respond to it, which is a choice, but that might impact what you do later on. So that's another hard skill is, is um, we call it the demand control schema. So the stimulus and the responses that you create. Could uh, you
0: give a few examples of that in a situation? Because it does seem... A sure. little far out there.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a very uh, abstract idea for sure. Yeah. So um, an immediate example I can think of is um, maybe a kid is sneezing constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so if, okay. if the student that you're working with is sitting in front of that student, then the deaf student is not going to know that the kid three rows behind him is sneezing. Throughout the entire class. But eventually, you know, what will happen is the teacher will start looking over in that direction more frequently. And the students next to him will start looking over to that. So if I ignore conveying, oh, Timmy sneezed. If Mm -hmm. I don't do that the first time, and then later on, the deaf student notices everybody, like, turning around to look, the deaf Mm -hmm. student might say... What are they doing? What are they looking at? Mm. So now there's this new thing that I need to respond to. But if at the beginning I say, oh, Timmy just sneezed. And then every time he does, I'm like, oh, Timmy's sneezing again. Then it makes (laughs) more sense Yeah. when all the students are are turning around or grabbing a box of tissues and passing it back. That might be something that then the deaf student doesn't ask about. Um, So that would be just a very basic, simple level. (laughs) Yeah. Um and then it can get more complicated than that. Uh if if a teacher is speaking very quickly and I can't include or I am not finding a way to include all the information, I may choose the three big points. Mm. So if I choose those three big points, but I leave out an example that the teacher refers to later on in the lecture, now mm. I have to go back, include that minor fourth point that I didn't include the first time and build on top of what the teacher is saying from that point on. Um, so there's always, there's always a decision of what you are doing, what you're including, how you're including it. And then, and then it can impact the future interpretation. Well, it will impact the future interpretation. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the beauty. If you're working with the same students and the mm-hmm. same teacher mm-hmm. week after week, then you get to know the dynamic. Is t- you know, Timmy always in the back sneezing. Do we have to mention it, or do we? Is it established at this point? And hopefully, the teacher and the other students will become aware of how do we just slow the pace down so that everything can be correct communicated.
1: Correct, and okay. that, that is cool. why it is vital to try to have a consistent interpreter um, just because you figure out, and, you know, sometimes the deaf student's like, I don't care that the other kids are turning around and looking behind. Don't let me know what's happening. Just keep going. Like, yeah. what I'm focused on is this biology lesson or, cool, you know, and so the, the individual or the individuals will communicate what they want. So mm-hmm. and then some some students want to know everything that happens because they want to have that conversation at lunch. Like, yeah, they want to go up to Timmy and say, oh, man, why are you sneezing so much? Because yeah. the social opportunity that they may have that wouldn't be there right. otherwise.
0: Right. Was there anything that you wanted to add to the hard versus soft skills? I was
1: going to say soft skills, uh, things yeah. that I the things that I naturally have, I think, um curiosity I love learning I love thinking about thinking so the metacognitive level is really really fun Um, especially because not only are you monitoring the language that's coming in so not only am I processing the ASL that the student's saying but then as I'm speaking in English as the student I need to make sure that my English is intelligible. So you've got (laughs) Mm. part of your brain processing what's coming in, part of your brain processing what's going out, Um, Mm -hmm. and then vice versa. I need to be understanding and visualizing what's happening in the English. And then I need to be monitoring my output of sign language to make sure that it's intelligible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that I'm not putting out fragmented statements. Um, and so I love that metacognitive process. Uh, I love people. I love working with people. I love being in different environments, um, and learning that, that, uh, or learning from the different environments. Um, yeah. Other soft skills. I think it helps to be an extrovert because I think it, it makes me comfortable in a wide variety of, of situations, but Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that a lot of interpreters are also introverts.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, how cool. John, what's sparking your curiosity right now? Are there any books, podcasts, thought leaders that you are currently interested in?
1: Oh, man. There's so many things sparking my curiosity. Uh, I ever since... um, Black Lives Matter. This summer has had this resurgence. Uh, I've done a lot of of reading, uh, Ibram X. Kendi's work. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Bettina Love. She writes about uh, access to education. She's also mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, Michelle Alexander and just how our um, incarcerative system is really stacked against minority populations. Um, yeah. But just from a life from a life level, I frequently go back to the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, recently I was at a bookstore and I see that he has a fifth agreement. Now I haven't read that book yet though. It's on, it's on my shelf. It's waiting to be read. Oh. Um, but I love the four agreements. Um, yeah. And I, I, there is not a week that passes where I don't think about the four agreements. And then another thing, another author that I really enjoy is uh, Mark Manson. He's a blogger, and a, a book author uh, and I very much enjoy his insight and he mm. takes a lot of time to think about the context to think about human behavior and psychology and uh, he compares it to a lot of classic ethics and philosophy. So he'll, he'll occasionally reference you know, Aristotle and <laughs> mm. Socrates, the older guys. But then he thinks about contemporary people as well. It um, makes makes a lot of references to Brene Brown occasionally, or um, and and I just appreciate his very down to earth approach in the way he he states things. He has a very salty language, so if you're somebody who doesn't like salty language, <laughs> he can be a little hard to ingest. But other than that, um, he's he's fantastic. Awesome.
0: He sounds very interesting. I love the range. And finally, what is the best piece of career advice you have either received or would offer to others?
1: I think, I don't know if it's career advice as much as life advice, but I think just accepting and knowing that there's always more that you can learn and there's always some way for you to improve on what you did even if you did a Mm -hmm. fantastic job taking time to reflect on what you did what went well and where you can continue to improve i think that is vital um and i think that keeps you engaged in whatever profession you're a part of um and so yeah um, but also being able to celebrate your victories, like if you did something well, be honest about that and acknowledge that, mm-hmm. you know, that is something that I did well, or that is something that we did well. Mm-hmm. Um, so celebrate your victories, but then also constantly challenge yourself like, great, even though that was victorious, what can we do next time to make it even better? Um, yeah, and I think just just pushing and challenging yourself is, is huge.
0: Yeah. It's that Mm self-reflection, you know, did that go well or could I have done better? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, I like, I like your encouragement to take the pause afterwards for which either is appropriate, but to take the time to just live a reflective life.
1: I, I, you know, I think it's so, so important about everything, relationships, profession hobbies (laughs) your internal thought process like don't be somebody who just consumes be somebody who also reflects on on what you've done and then figure out how to to do it better the next time
0: (laughs) yeah now john are you seeing are you seeing classes back in person in session are you still working virtually
1: the school district I work for has decided to be completely virtual until the start of the second semester, and even at that point, it all depends on how COVID cases are and what they're what they're doing. So we know that we mm-hmm. will not be going back until I believe uh, the beginning of February sometime. I, <laughs> I was okay. going to throw out a specific date, and I realized, yeah. no, I know it's the beginning of February. Just leave it at that.
0: Yeah have you found a little freedom and enjoyment even though it's not as ideal for communication have you found an ease in the the new arrangement
1: it is uh it is nice um what is i didn't finish that statement it is nice to be able to work from home uh, saving a lot of money on gas and hopefully in the process mm-hmm. saving our planet <laughs> um yeah but there are also struggles to it um It's harder for me to establish boundaries as far as I find myself maybe signing on a little bit earlier than my start time of Mm -hmm. 7.55. Maybe I'll sign on, you know, and start working and then just I continually think, well, I can just knock out this one project or I can do a little more research or I can do a little more, you know, after when I'm supposed to stop working. So I think those yeah. boundaries uh, can be challenging. And, and that is something that's nice about going to a place of work. And then again, just the effectiveness of the communication uh, yeah. there, even though it's subtle, there is a lot that's lost uh, mm-hmm. in a digital platform and not being there face to face and together.
0: Well, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. We'll, <laughs> we'll eventually go back, but it's it's a chapter.
1: It is. It is a chapter for sure.
0: So, John, thank you so much for your time today. This has just been such an eye-opening conversation, and I really appreciate your time.
1: My pleasure. I, again, I love talking about... Uh, the world of interpreting and its complexities. I love talking about the deaf community and how beautiful it is. Uh, I love talking about sign language and, and how cool and intricate of a language that is. So anytime you want to talk, I am happy to to talk to you.
0: Thank you again to John for sharing in your time today. I learned so much. I honestly didn't know that much about ASL as a language, let alone that when you're interpreting, it's not just translating word for word and the content of what's going on, but it's also important to translate the context and really create the whole scenario and situations and the background noise and how all of that plays into communication and the experience. So, John, thank you so much. I hope that everyone enjoyed that as much as I did. If you did share it, rate, review all the good things, and also hop over to Instagram. I would love to hear from you over there and have you be a part of our growing community. Alright guys, I hope you're doing well and taking care of yourself and I will catch you next time on another episode of Defining Roles.